911. What's your emergency? I can't find Captain Nash and his wife's cruise ship. Tonight, 911 comes to ABC. If we're going to make it out of here, we got to work together. Tonight at 9 on ABC, followed by 7 News at 11. This is why you watch 7 News at 5. This breaking story is happening as we speak. To get breaking news from the alert desk. When I know about it, you'll know about it first. So you're always connected with what's happening now, only on 7 News at 5. Put your right hand in the box. What's in the box? Pain. Stop. Put your hand in the box. I wanted your neck. It's not fear. Fear is the mind killer. And fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. But I will face my fear. I will get to pass over me and through me. The Duke will die before these eyes, and he'll know, he'll know that it is I, man, Vladimir Harkonnen, who encompasses his doom. <laughs> the Sleeper Awakens. The, what's the iPad in Dune? What do they call it? iPad in Dune? They kind of do. They have like a... By then they had no... Well, they didn't have... Well, they have like crystal sheets. Yeah. They have those crystal sheets that they use to store many, many, many different types of filaments of iPad. information. No, it's not a fucking iPad <laughs> because they specifically don't have machines because of the Butlerian Jihad. Is this how we're going to start? Like legitimately? <laughs> because it's important to remember. A beginning is the time for taking the most delicate care that the balances are correct. <laughs> and that's why beginnings, you see, are most fragile time, which is why we're handling them like one would handle two precious eggs. Right, Holden? Eggs? Eggs, indeed. Uh, they must be handled on a spoon or using- If it's a race. Delicate, be- yes. If you're racing and there's an Easter bunny There nearby, often is. Yes, and Christ is, of course- not there. He doesn't. He isn't Coming real. I'm to... glad we started like this. <laughs> Welcome to LPN's deep dives. This time featuring Dune. It's Dunecast. Uh, I think we should begin and end every single episode with this quote in unison. Are you ready? Sure. I, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. And Dunecast. Hello, I am God Emperor Henry Zabrowski with my, I want to say, human wife. <laughs> Holden McNeely. I have a wife. Yes. I have a wife I make but she, love to. As you know, she is a sort of a robot person, right? And I, I developed human her. Version. Yeah. You're the Telexlu. <laughs> Don't, you already murder the name. But today we begin our descent into Dune. Uh, the books of Dune, six in total is what we will be covering. The original sextology, is that the, how you'd call it? Sextology, and then of course his son, using his notes, wrote the final one, and then there's also of course a prequel, which actually- There's would, many prequels. There's many prequels, but, but there's a prequel trilogy that kind of concerns a lot of our key players that we're going to be introducing today at the start of this first episode of Dunecast. Now, to get you started, first of all, because Spotify, our beloved Ascended Masters at Spotify have asked us to please 
begin to try to explain the plot of Dune for people that have not read Dune. So first of all, because remember, I'm the God Emperor. This is my universe. I am bringing Holden McNeely against his will into my universe. Much like a Duncan Idaho Gola, if you are He's learning with the books. And if you're not... I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't know. You got a ways to go. You're at the very even that fat. You're at the very bottom <laughs> of the mountain. So I think because I'm bringing Holden McNeely into my world, I'm forcing him to read all of the Dune books yes. for the first time in order for me to have someone to speak to about it on microphones because I can finally get out of my system. I can finally get all this whole topic away from my family. Yes. I can get away from my other friends and I can just put it all squarely on the shoulders of Holden McNeely and the listeners at home. Now, I will say that I actually started this journey, let's call it, because it is a journey of it the is. mind, uh, a mental odyssey years ago and and I picked up this book sure. literally to say I, I told you this too back in the day which is I think what kind of the beginnings of what led to this I picked up Dune and read it to understand Henry better you, I mean specifically why I did it everyone's asking to understand me better and I can't tell you guys more that all of the clues to my personalities are left to on various locations all over the world <laughs> and different pieces of content that I've been on if you just parcel through each single thing that I've said done eaten and experienced, you will see the true me, but you have to kind of put it all together right. in a way that I, makes I, sense. I, I had been through extensive stuff for this. I had seen every, you know, all the comedy series he loves. Mm -hmm. I got access to his Pornhub history you to saw understand his masturbation. Top search. Top, worm God. Yep. Fucks <laughs> Big girl. girl. Yep. That's my favorite. Worm God fucks Big Girl. It's my favorite way to do it. That's how we, I always just, because I like to challenge right. Pornhub. Give it to me. Right. You know, change. See what, I see like what the comes from the bottom. parody uh, porns. My, the Seinfeld. And he does. Ninja Turtles or whatever. But you sort of enjoy this kind of worm fetish. I, it's not about the worm fetish. It's about the man inside of the costume. And that's what this entire thing, dude, is about. <laughs> yes. It's about the man inside of the worm costume. But yes. We won't get to God Emperor of Dune until episode episode five. So just so yeah. you know, it's a little bit more of an intro. We are going to be covering the main book of Dune, Dune 1, over these first four episodes, basically. We're yes. going to be talking about topics associated with the first book. Um, and just so you know, all 600 pages of Dune 1 it's just the fucking appetizer. Dude. Yes, that's the intro to the whole world. You were just telling me this before we started. I think it's very important. But the reason why we're going to spend so many episodes on it is we do have to build this world. But at the same time, if you just read the first book and you're like, oops. I, or, be like, or congrats. Yeah. Look at me. I went, like dude. Yeah, wow. You're fucking not even you close. Like a turd. On the tip of an ice cream cone, technically, you're useless. The book one of Dune technically is, the, it is the best <laughs> book of the sextology, but it's also <laughs> just the very beginning. Yes. Because the real story of Dune does not begin until book two. Yes. So just to kind of set the scene, Dune one begins with a very tenuous transition between two houses deep in space. You got House Atreides and House Harkonnen. They are both fighting over what is supposed to be one of the most valuable pieces of property in the universe, if not the most valuable piece of property in the universe, which is Arrakis, Dune, the sand planet, home of the spice. No water there, though, so there's a lot of fights back and forth. But Dune 1 is the pretty classic action-adventure sci-fi story of the hero's journey 
it of is, Neo, it is the, right? Essentially, Neo, yes. Paul Atreides, is a good guy versus the classic bad guys, the House Harkonnen, you know, like the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, who honestly, if you reread the book, is actually a lot more sympathetic than you think he'd be. Mm. Um, and it's about just the story of, oh, you know, a little boy who gets this quote unquote terrible purpose thrust upon him, who is forced to now fight all these big bad guys. And I'm going to spoil it for you. He wins. But guess what? When you win an entire planet, you don't just get like a bunch of fun shit. It's not like roller coasters and just getting blown all the time. You also win all of the problems with being a god prophet king and being in charge of the most valuable, I want to say transport device. It's a transport device, drug, cocaine. Food. Yeah. It's, it's cocaine and it. oil. It's yes. coca- and it also, it can make you live forever. It yes. can make you psychic. It can make you all the shit. And now One you're, god. you're yeah. completely in charge of it. And what comes from that? Yes, exactly. And that's why it was one of those situations for me personally when I read the first book that I it was I'm gonna go ahead and say bit of a slog for this guy for the first several hundred pages. You're weak. Then I got into it. Mm-hmm. Then at the end, I, I was like, I was it was one of those weird feelings. There's got to be like a German word for it. I was so excited to finally finish this thing. Clempton clump. Yeah, clump to clump. I had serious clump to clump. And I I also had this feeling of not just relief that I was finished, but also this almost horrific curiosity the fact that i knew now that i was set upon a path that i had to fully go through till completion that the next book would be opened and read which was something that i actually was not expecting i really thought i was just going to read the first one Mm -mm. and then i'd heard about the intubated children or whatever happens in the sixth one tleilaxu either way tleilaxu books five and six just to kind of you know immediately an insulting sum up of books five and six immediately (laughs) is that it is it's muppet babies in space (laughs) That's a we'll get to there. But also the first book really is the classic hero's journey and is the most structurally like uh, a a normal sci-fi, sci-fi book. epic, right? Yeah. And and it is the A New Hope. I was saying to you earlier, it's like Dune is Star Wars A New Hope, but then instead of like moving on to Empire Strikes Back, like Messiah and everything after it is like 2001 A Space Odyssey, it right? Is, we get done with the how fun and great the Messiah is <laughs> in book one. Yeah. It is done, which is also why I was so specifically attracted to Dune. But I... uh wanted to understand like the idea of like getting into the head of a superhero. If yeah. you read The Maker of Dune, it's another collection of fun essays by the author of Dune, Frank Herbert. I don't know if we've even said his name. The best beard in sci-fi next to PKD. It's him, Philip K. Dick. Holy shit, that's a lot of friction. If they were to kiss each other, what wow. a fucking stinky campfire that would be. How much cocaine would be shared between their nostrils? Frank Herbert was a famous teetotaler. Oh. I think he might have had a drink or two. He might have had a drink or two, well, but PKD was not. PKD. He, oh, yeah. yeah. God. He, like, he liked it. Rigid. He liked it. it. He liked but, to get rigid, as he called it. But he wrote a essay, Frank Herbert, called Dangers of the Superhero, where he basically outlines what he thought of as the idea behind the structure of Dune and the idea where Dune came from. And his concept, the elite motif of Dune, is the what happens when you put the responsibilities and your fate in the hands of a superhero who just so happens to also be a human being. Because in the world of Dune, there are no smart machines. There are no computers. There are no, uh, this is not hard sci-fi. There is no descriptions of like massive ships or technology or different alien races. This is an entirely human 
future that completely lies on the choices and the mistakes that humans can make. So they look at this superhero, Paul Atreides, who we'll begin to describe in further and further detail, as you'll see. I love him, but he's a child. He begins the entire series as a undernourished 15-year-old boy that has this sort of, he has godhood put on him from a bunch of people, essentially a, a system of space eugenics, because that's what the Benny Gesserit are doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you say the words Benny Gesserit, that's a whole giant can of worms. Talking about the whole humanization, though, of a godhead before we even get into the witch women's guild. A witch women's guild is important <laughs> because we might get into the witch women's guild today. We the Benny Gesserit. Get, well, we have to talk about Jessica Paul's mother, who, mm -hmm. spoiler alert, is a member of the Benny Gesserit. She's spicy, too. Uh, Just from the descriptions. Do you get horny from books? Um, that's an excellent question. I think there are definitely moments I have been horny in books. Unfortunately, like, um, ugh, I don't want to say Bukowski's women, but disgusting. He talked, he talked about you're a lot bad. of sort of you're sex a bad stuff person. or whatever. You know what I mean? And they're pissing on each other and they're laughing about it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Kind of fun. Oh God, the rabbit novels got me horny, horny too. That's actually. weird. That's also a there strange was piss play that you said that. Rabbit is rich, I believe, which was actually I was like, maybe I should try that. So you just straight up said that the two scenes that made you arouse <laughs> from literary history involved piss play. They're in the shower already. It's clean technically to do it. I'm the god emperor here. <laughs> I'm the one who needs to be showered in pee. And I'm just a pebble of sand in your fucking world. Yeah, man. bro, and everybody's staring at the god emperor. Does he have a penis? Does he have a penis? But we'll get to that. What is Dune? All right, Dune. <laughs> Let us... Begin. Uh, yeah, so I like where, where we were headed. I think I think what we it's two houses divided. Yes, I, th I think one of my main that we even had in our notes: Duke Leto is Biden, Harkonnen is Trump, Emperor is Putin. I think that that is just a note we wrote because <laughs> uh, I'm not going to fully go into it as I because then I started thinking about it because then I was like. Paul Atreides is Hunter Biden. Like, no, he's not. Um, so that is not, that's not really there. Okay. And it's more but, about, but maybe why this. we said that is just that Leto seems to be a wiser sage, less indulgent, more. Well, well let's break it down. Let's yeah. break it down. So the planet Arrakis has been um, kind of fought over for many generations. When we arrive at the very beginning it's of Dune. It's Iran, essentially. It's, you know I would I mean? say, well, because Frank Herbert says the spice is not oil, because in my mind, I always considered there's a lot of ecological and economical themes in Dune. Oh, and I also want to say, again, at the very top of this, <laughs> we are not English professors. We are not book reviewers. We are not literary theorists. We are just here to have a good time and talk Dune. I am packing an average six inches that I have never gotten complaints with, but I am in no way an expert in sex or books. He's not. Definitely books. <laughs> Um, but we are here to just have a fun time talking about Dune. So we're going to try to figure this shit out because Frank Herbert, obviously there is like, there is shit inside of Dune that's ecologically minded and economically minded, but that's the stuff that I'm not that fucking interested in. Right. But the, uh, spice on Dune is this very, very important, what would you use? It's a strategic resource. Well, and I love that it's more than to oil. To use term. More than, I, I love that it is, has these drug qualities to it. Yes. It does make it go, it, he sets, all right, what he's doing essentially in this first book is setting up all these little seeds that will grow into these giant wormy trees by the fourth book. And so a big part of the spice is, is that A, it's highly addictive. Yes. B, we should mention that people's eyes go 
full blue. Blue within blue. Your irises become blue and the whites around your eye become so you completely blue. you know when somebody is like fully hooked on the spice. And also if you are one of the native people who live on Arrakis, one of the Fremen. The they Fremen. Also, we haven't said are, the word Fremen yet, but yes. There's a lot to unpack here, so, Holden. But, but they are kind of the, yes, we'll get into the Fremen for sure as well. But either way, and it is a drug, but it's more than a drug. I mean, I guess you could almost cool. liken it to peyote or or it's everything like that, where it it opens up your consciousness. Yes, it, it can take you to new layers to a dangerous degree, much like someone would go insane if they say ate too much of the uh, of that acid brown ayahuasca acid or something. Like, I actually the that's actually a, a fallacy. That story, know, the brown yeah. acid actually was just it was bad acid. And yeah. He said, "Don't take it because you won't get not high." Very good. Yes, and people were like, "Oh, oh, fuck, oh man!" When they told them not oh. to take it. Um, and so this. <laughs> Resource is only available on Arrakis. Yes. And they don't know why it's only available on Arrakis, as you'll see. There's a lot of questions about why only on this planet. They learn they, why, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And they also, there's no way to synthetically reproduce it. They, or they, they seem to not be able to figure it out. It is only on this planet. And now, there's been an ongoing house war between House Atreides and House Harkonnen. Now, House Atreides, symbolized by the Red Hawk, Duke Leto, Mad hawk of feature, dark, swarthy, strong, able leader, lawful good, if we're going to use D&D uh, categories. Does he, do they, and this might be getting too into the weeds, because honestly, it's not that, that important, the backstory of like their political reign. You say this. I say this too, but then all of a sudden in my mind, I start to think and try to spell it out and you realize there's a whole bunch of shit with the Landsrab yes. and Chome. Do they have planets? Where are they coming from? Like in terms of before, because, okay, what you need to know is House Atreides and Harkonnen, who we'll describe in just a second, they've been button heads and kind of- For a while. And they, they, the Atreides live on the beautiful planet Kaladin, which is the- Opposite of Arrakis. Absolute opposite. It's got, you know, rainforests. It's very temperate. It's gorgeous. They like live in these like big sort of what they describe these big like lodges. It sounds really nice. Um, Duke Leto is not married. His main concubine is a woman named Jessica, who is a witch. The witch is technically a derogatory term for members of the Bene Gesserit. The Bene Gesserit is a group of women that yeah, are they highly they trained. Say the, in the book, they don't say which, they say the W word. They say the W word. <laughs> and it's important because you will get hashtag canceled on Arrakis <laughs> if you call him a witch. But the, uh, Frank By Herbert, canceled, we mean a giant worm will devour <gasps> you in of cheery crowd. <laughs> oh, take me, take me. God, that would be fucking sweet to die by worm, dude. That'd be so sweet. Slide down in his guts. That's where you and I diverge as people. I'm going to slide down. I'm going to come out of this fucking little asshole, man. That'd be cute as hell because then you're spiced. Yeah, oh, that's a secret. Out that's the secret. That's the secret. The worms did it. And yes. we shouldn't have busted it. Um, But Frank Herbert, love him to death, right? This is a guy, very smart. Uh, don't look too deep into his politics. <laughs> but he has a man. He's handsome. Um, we look very similar. He is same body, great body. Um, loved his wife, but the man uh loves strong women, and that's what I think is nice about Dune. Is that Dune has this yes. ribbon through it of very strong, very capable, very dangerous women. Yes. Duke Leto has essentially been assigned by this group. Benny Gesserit, right? Which is they essentially control all bloodlines. What they call they trying to achieve balance because the Benny Gesserit say that their jobs are politics, which means they go and create using a series of these Bene Gesserit trained women that they marry and position in high places. And what they do is they take their progeny, all of their children, and their goal is to create what they say in their mind, this thing called the Quitsack Hatterack, which yes. is essentially, it's Neo, right? It's the, it's a dude Bene Gesserit. Okay. Which is, and it has to be a male. It has to, to be a be male. The thing. And normally they're popping out 
girls. They're only doing girls. But what happened was is that Jessica fell so deeply in love with Duke Leto and knew that the only thing that Duke Leto wanted in this world was a son. And with the first human impulse that starts at the very beginning of Dune, you see that not only is the generations of control that the Bene Gesserit have held over very many different houses of the Landsrad, which is the union of all the different planetary houses, they've held this power for so long, and it was done over in a simple act of gushing inside. Now, my question is this. Can the Bene Gesserit just choose the what the gender of the baby yes, is? That's they have total bodily control. And no one explained to them that it's a construct. No, no, they know it is. They are oh, not. Okay. No, the Bene Gesserit. Oh, a, thank you. No, it's a saying. Oh, you're trying to throw to me. Yeah, yeah. You're trying, trying to, to fucking throw it, to I'm me. Trying to get you fucked up. Oh, you want to get me fucking crazy? <laughs> I have a lot of coffee today. I mean, I, I will say, by the way, you know, coming from, I think, not the same place that we're looking at gender nowadays, gender actually does come into play in a huge way. I mean, even in the fourth book with the all-woman army. Oh, yeah, is, and that's is, sexy as hell, man. This is honestly, this is just sort of like what I've always wanted, the idea of being yeah. a god emperor yeah. in charge of all of these, like, buxom Amazon warrior women. Yeah, yeah. That's like my fucking sweet spot, and, and there were thoughts towards, that's jumping away ahead, but there are thoughts towards having an all-female army and as how that is superior to an all-male army based on kind of notions well, about male and female, which is fascinating, kind of an interesting thought. We'll get uh, to it, but Leto too specifically said men are too emotional to be good warriors. Yes. Uh, which I think is very interesting. Same thing with the Bene Gesserit. So Duke Leto- And don't worry about the fact that he just said Leto too. We're not going to worry about that at oh, all. Oh, yeah, should I? That was like another, ah, it's a word. <laughs> don't talk about this shit. But so Jessica's in love with Duke Leto. Yes. She lets him gush inside and she gives him a son. Paul. Now, Paul was not supposed to be born. Paul uh, is a young man that also he immediately seems to have innate abilities that other kids don't have. He has uh, dreams that can see the future. He is very good at um, immediately accepting Bene Gesserit teachings because he starts teaching him very, very early on all the tricks and trades of the Bene Gesserit. The thing is that this was all not supposed to happen. And everyone kind of knows it was not supposed to happen. But Duke Leto is super happy because he has an heir and it's all ready to go. So right now, this is the, the very beginning is that Duke Leto has defeated House Harkonnen in essentially what they, there's some kind of interwar they have. And they have a thing in Dune called Conley, which is a type of, I don't know how you'd put it. It's parlay. So when two people, like when you have an official, the emperor, like, so there's an emperor of the entire universe, right? The emperor sort of sanctions these houses to have wars with each other. And then they enter into a term, a series of conditions called Conley. They're having this war over Dune. And they basically said, okay, the emperor came in, y'all, it's over. Atreides won officially. So that means, Atreides, you all get the very special real estate grant of you are now the Duke of Arrakis, right? So Duke Leto has this shit kind of thrown onto his lap. You are now in charge of Arrakis, which is something he didn't even really want. Right. Because he knew, as you read in the book, as soon as he finds out that he's supposed to be the Duke of Arrakis, he's like, I'm fucked yes. because it is what it's like getting uh, hand of the king in Lord of the uh, Game of Thrones. Actually, they always it's die. The same thing. Like no one ever has a good time being hand of the king. It's always like a weird jail sentence, even though it's a high position of power. Well, it's because he also knows in a little bit that I've been put into a trap because the Duke Leto is yeah. up against the Baron Harkonnen. The Baron Harkonnen is a he's cute, <laughs> and he's fun, and he is. Uh, there's nothing he likes better 
than a nice, sweet, fresh young boy. So can you actually describe what he really looks like as opposed to cute and fun? Because it's definitely- He is an immensely fat- <laughs> Um, covered with boils, yes. loves human flesh. He he has people like he has people attached to him. Like guys that come up to him, he's like, "Let me have your heart. Let me have your heart." And then you pop open like a can of Pringles on their chest, and blood pumps out. And then he fucking licks it, needs it, and he just loves little boy cum. He's just the ultimate uh, indulgence. Uh, indulgence. Symbol of indulgence. And he's, he is he, Epstein times a hundred, a billion. And he's on suspensor lifts because he's so fat that he can't move so he's on these suspensor lifts I don't know if you've seen the David Lynch dude at home when he that fucking great scene where he goes mm. <laughs> <laughs> and starts spinning on the ceiling and shit right. which is the only fucking that's me dude <laughs> when I got news that we sold Dunecast I went <laughs> <laughs> and I floated to the ceiling and I went wee 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 all the way home and by that I mean I pissed as I walked home <laughs> that's actually yes, I like to leave a, a problem I, I call it leaving my snail trail <laughs> that's, uh, a, that's actually already a term yeah, that's oh, more that's of a right. yeah. I would just call that your fucking your deek leak. <laughs> I to use a little bit of Arakine. Um <laughs> That's my Arakine. So Harkuna, but you, also the Emperor himself. Uh, uh, to pull the curtain back a little bit more, is really the one fucking. Uh, well, that's where you Lido. really get to when you you read it. The very beginning of Dune has a sort of like breakdown of like just how and what way they are fucking with. Leto, right? Because Leto's a goody two-shoes. He is lawful good. Yes. He is a excellent soldier. He leads by example. His men love him. His women love him. Jessica mm. desperately wants to be married to him, but he can't marry his concubine. That's what they call them. He can't marry Jessica because if he does, it takes him off the plate for other people. Because basically he's trying to do strategic weddings to somebody else within the lands rad yeah. to like shore up allyship. That's right? a big part of this whole series is not particularly being married or having babies with a person you're actually in love with or necessarily even like because you just need to create these heirs and create these that is lineages. literally marriage before 1965. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Like, it's the same shit, but so he can't marry her. So he's trying to do it the right way. But guess what? No one really likes a fucking goody two shoes. Yeah. Because you know what happens? It's that Duke Leto who shows up and he has all these ideas of like, uh, I want to do regulations and uh, I want to clean up all the corruption and all the smugglers. Because what you're going to find out is that there's a thing called chome. There's a lot of like economic shit inside of Dune that I just kind of my eyes kind of glaze over, yes. but it's important to understand. And Sh makes for really good real time strategy games. And we'll talk about that in the video. Can't game wait. Exactly Can't fucking wait. Cause it, yeah, it's the stuff that doesn't bore me into Civ 6, it's like but bores me in a book. Shit. Yeah. It is sci fun sci fi epic. Yeah. Yes. But he uh, essentially. There are smugglers that have been fucking, everybody's getting a cut off of Dune. The thing is, what was nice about having Harkonnen in charge of Dune is that everybody was getting a fucking piece, yeah. right? Everybody's going in, smuggling in and out, and the emperor himself, even the emperor, is so interested in keeping his own piece of the smuggling that's going on in Dune, which is people, like, siphoning off the top, because what they're trying to do, like, the real, it's this is where it gets into kind of economics, because their goal is to create so much their own holds of spice, right? That's kind of what I understand. In my, upon my fifth rereading of Dune, I started to start to understand yeah. the economic part of it, which is that 
Harkonnen and the emperor understood the only way to get independence from Arrakis, because that's what they're desperate for. They're so sick of whoever's in charge of Arrakis, so they're working on getting their own storehouse of the space. Because from then, whoever's had the duchy of Arrakis has had far too much power, and the emperor doesn't like dealing with anybody who's below him having too much power, and they have all these kind of complicated shit because Chom is like where water comes in and out of Arrakis, which is one way to smuggle. They're fucking with the water on Arrakis, tightening the leash on whoever's there by basically saying, you're going to give me what you want, or I'm not going to fucking give you water, but it turns out there might be more water on Arrakis than they thought. And there are also people saying like, oh, I just don't want to deal with anybody on this planet. So we need to have so much money. It's so much, I say money, I mean spice, that we never have to deal with these motherfuckers ever again. Kind of like a Bezos situation or a Musk situation. Why people acquire so much capital because the point is, is to essentially become within your own country, your own little country. He who has the spice controls the universe. Controls it all. And so, yeah, exactly. It's the Tesla of this world. Or actually, I guess rather it's the Amazon of this world because, you know, it's sort of like how people's serotonin goes up every time they get a dumb fuck package in the mail. Yes. date cycle. So now now, Conley has been instituted. So the fucking Duke has got control of Arrakis. Hey, what Vladimir Harkonnen calls it, which I love, the ultimate man trap. Because he knows that he has the Lido deep in his hands. Because because the one thing that starts at the very beginning of the book, they're all just talking about how Duke Lido's just dead. That he might as well be dead. And meanwhile, I was like, that guy's alive. This is no where, one seems to give a fuck about this. This is Lido. where I want to kind of come in and talk about the difficulty for me of the opening pages of this book. And a thing that I have to wrestle with, I think, throughout a lot of different sections of this book, and now I kind of love it about it, is that a lot of it reminds me of dream logic. Yes. Like, Lido is in this situation. He knows he shouldn't be in, and yet he's just going forward with it. And as much as everyone's like, you know you're fucked, right? And he's just like, I am, but I'm just going to keep going forward. It's like being in a dream where you're like, why am I even in this haunted house? I know the house is going to kill me, but I'm here because I'm in a dream and I'm like trapped in the dream's momentum. He's also never had a challenge that he's never not surmounted Ah. with his wit, his honor, and his power. So his whole thing is, what he said, the the best part about having a trap is that knowing of the trap is half the battle, right? So he knows he's entering entering into a trap. But what he doesn't understand, I think that now, oh my, again, this current rereading of it is that he's not in Harkonnen's trap. He's in Jessica's trap. Ah. And he never knew that he was, but Jessica never thought of it as a trap. She never thought that her love for him would actually be the thing that doomed them. But in a way, they thought that when Leto would show up to Arrakis, because again, like the end of Dune 1, it starts with the good guys winning. So the good guys have won. So there's this like kind of flickering thought that being like, okay, finally, We're somebody in- who has some sense is going to be taking control over this very important part. Somebody's going to finally go and do all the things that they need to do. And Jessica, I think, is almost in her way Kind of like, I I feel this. I feel this. I feel like, and even though I'm wise with the Benny Jesserit feeling, I know that like, well, maybe if anybody can see his way out of this bullshit, it's him. It's my Duke. My Duke will figure it out. But she doesn't understand that when she gave him Paul, she fucked up this whole thing. Because now we're back to Paul. Paul, the very beginning of this book is dreaming. 
He's there. He's asleep in his bed. The little Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, I was about to say, imagine Timothy Chalamet sort of reciting Shakespeare in his sleep. Yeah. I used to summer in Italy every every year. I, that's my Timothy Chalamet. My Timothy Chalamet ding dong impression. It normally involves someone who is too hungry to stand. Another important little tidbit that I didn't catch on to till later is like this actually exists in in a far future of our actual world. Like so, they yes. comment on actual history on Earth. They talk about literature from, you know. Before times. Before times, Because between now and what is our Earth, there was a thing called the Butlerian Jihad, which is a fun name. But the the whole thing was about. But Larry. (laughs) But Larry. (laughs) Jihad it. That's great. Save that. That was, yeah. Save that for your album. Uh, oh, let me repeat the joke because I feel like most of you guys didn't get it Larry. out there. I have an see- type seeing you guys at the lights, but I'm pretty sure I should have heard louder laughter from the audience at this point in my stand-up special. Larry! Larry! Uh, he is having a stream. Timothy Shamalama Ding Dong is actually a really good casting for Paul because he's supposed to be 15. He's supposed to be Faye. small for his age. He's clever afoot. And his whole thing is that I would put him as a neutral good because of what goes on in his future. Uh, He is, uh, he looks up to his father. He loves his father. Um, But he seems to understand things are not right at the very, very beginning. I like you say neutral, somewhere in between order and chaos, because I think he sees how fucked up Full order is well because his because du- Duke Leto thinks does that right he just plays because ball, he plays oh, yeah. by the rules and he gets completely spoiler alert ass fucked ass fucked <laughs> because he was a goody two shoes and when you find out it's in this world especially in the world of Rackus it's dangerous man yeah and it's not good to be the one person that's trying to like bring everything back to a quote unquote normal because there are a lot of people that lose money when things are brought to a quote unquote normal and I don't know what that's remotely comparison to I don't know what you think what is that like story of this country which again I know it's like a dumb analogy but I think it's why we had that analogy in our notes because it really is that way right like the moment you see someone come into power who has actual decent intentions or or you think they do they do they just get Either way, they get fucking steamrolled, steamrolled. by the billionaires that have been incessantly profiting off it's of It's the whole thing where fucked up it is. All the smuggling on Arrakis is not a bug, it's a feature. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a built-in part of it. It's supposed to be a corrupt place. So this guy is a fucking mark. Paul, though, is living a life that he was never supposed to live. And the very beginning is that he wakes up to his mother, big bucks of mother staring Ooh. at him. God, Jessica's yeah. so hot. I mean, honestly, and Rebecca Ferguson in the movies are oh, a fucking, yeah. she's fine. fucking cutie patootie as well. Um, but they look at him, and he knows something's up. He's immediately thrown into the world of the Benny Jetsrit. Now, Paul was not supposed to get any of this training. He was not supposed to be taught how to use the voice, which we'll talk about in a later episode. Um, he was not supposed to know how to truth say, which is one of these other these things. These are all Benny Gesserit. Things, abilities, abilities which like he can powers. see when people are telling the truth. He can tell by the he can watch your every move, kind of like the way Sherlock Holmes used to do, where you could tell like somebody's like profession by the way they walk and shit like that. He's that type. He has that skill set, and he immediately is tested by this Reverend Mother, um, which you'd see excellently parodied in Henry Zebrowski's The Characters on Netflix, um, <laughs> where he is, has to put, this is where the scene, the where he puts his hands in the box. 
rocks, right, to find out whether or not he is a human or an animal. So he is threatened by the Gom Jabbar. It's a great, one of my favorite scenes in all literature where he is sitting there. He is forced to put his hand in this box. The Reverend Mother, like who is essentially Jessica's fucking boss, shows up with this thing called the Gom Jabbar, which is essentially like a thimble with a needle on it that she presses to his neck, essentially saying, you move from your hand from this box. I'm going to stab you in the neck. You're going to be fucking dead in a second. And he's just like, oh, no, because it's Timothy Chameleon. And so he puts his hand in there. He experienced such an incredible amount of pain, right, that he thinks that his skin is boiling and ripping from the bones. And he's scratching, I must, I must leave it in the box. It reminds, have you ever seen those red ant bags? Yeah, dude. That you have to, oh, I can feel it myself. Like, I feel the pain myself when I think about it. So fucking sweet. (laughs) But he puts his hand in the box. She threads to get him, but because he doesn't remove it, it shows that he is a human and not an animal. Because an animal would go as far as to chew their own leg off to take themselves out of a trap where Mm. a human can see that it's not in fact a trap at all. And that when he removes his hand from the box, his hand is completely fine. And he's like, what? (laughs) What? This is fucking no. Uh, yeah, he becomes Tim the Toolman Taylor. Immediately. And starts hosting a show Tim on Allen Arrakis. should have been Paul Atreides. <laughs> uh, but I, this is my one like thing in Dune. The reason why I love Dune is because I am not, uh, I don't know if you can tell, I'm a bit of a contrarian. Um, and people would say that sometimes I'm just like, not a lot of fun. Like, I don't like what other people like. That's what makes me super cool, right? Right. It's super, I'm, I'm too edgy for yeah, life. you're my like, mean devil friend or whatever. Fucking, I like oh, the villains. Yeah. I like, I've always been that way since I was a little kid. I've always liked the villains more than the heroes. I think there's a lot of people like that. But I was, I always sided with whoever looked the most evil. I love them. But this is a series where... I love the heroes because they are not pure heroes because pure heroes. I don't get the only pure hero. I love is um, Dale Cooper from twin peaks. <laughs> that is my only like, pure hero. And where, even he has, like, he goes, not, to the, he goes to the dark side. Or he, because he's the only one who can handle yeah, the dark side yeah, completely yeah. because he's so pure on the inside. Yeah. This shows immediately that there are hinks within this idea of creating a Neo. Because as soon as yes. that Paul shows that he's a human, it's the first sign of, oh no, is this the aforementioned Quitzahatarak, right? Is this the one is this the kid because everybody's mad at Jessica. She was not supposed to have a son. It fucked up generations right. of control over DNA lines, right? Well, and I was going to say too, and then it takes that question of, oh, is he Neo? And like, if you think about even the Matrix in the same vein, it's like, do we want to break people out of the Matrix? Is Neo actually a good thing for humanity and the world? And I think that's kind of where the book takes us to and where the rest of the series ends up trying to answer that question. I think that's the fascinating angle to Dune is it doesn't just give you this like Luke Skywalker and give you this amazing hero journey. It totally gives you that. It does. But then it also goes like, yeah, but is that actually a good thing? Because I now I start to wonder because the Benny Jetsford has been talking about this, this Quitzahatarak for so long, right? And this idea of this, this fable dude. Because the idea is that the Benny Jetsford, they can share memories with each other. So each reverend mother, as they die, has to give their memories to another reverend mother. So anybody that is a trained adept within the Bene Gesserit shares memories of 
every only female line that is behind them. So they can see all of these memories, right? They have access to this giant collective unconscious. Um, Because remember, there are no machines. So all of these various little groups have decided to train and hone the human mind to act as if they were computers versus just flawed-filled goops of shit. And Henry's introducing this idea now of being able to delve back into every like ancestral lines, memories, and to inform oneself. This is actually one of the probably most repeated concepts and themes of the entire series. So that is actually a very important bullet point. And I actually did not realize that began with them and, and this thing, this concept you're talking about. That's why we're doing this fucking show. Yeah. I'll wrestle you to the fucking ground and I'll teach you you everything. Before we started, I refuse to allow you to do it again. We must wrestle before the end of this limited series. (laughs) And see who physically can beat the other. See who can get the other person's shoes off. Yeah, and then I guess we'll fucking kiss. Yeah. Oh man, I wanted I yeah. In front of our wives. Hey man, they that's front row tickets. Freeman ceremony Mm. that will be complete then, and then we'll drink the water of the worm. Mm. I've already have a worm farm. I've been harvesting in my office. I want to trip balls, dude. (laughs) But you see, the Benny Jesuit can only look into the female line. The Quitsack Hatterack, though can look to where none of them, what they say, the the unlookable place, which is into the male side of all of their memories. It's very gendered. I don't completely understand why, but this is Frank Herbert's world. We're just living in it. Yeah, completely. So they think, oh God, he might be the Quitsack Hatterack. But this is the thing. This is where I start to realize. They wanted this Quitsack fucking Hatterack. They've been talking about this shit for generations. They've then got one on accident. And then they're super pissed about it. They don't want the Paul. They don't. They are very mad at Jessica for doing this, especially the very beginning. What, what is their prophecy foretell a Quisak Hatterack doing? I think that they like. Thought, why are they afraid of it? Because of how powerful this person is. The prophecy is how powerful this person's supposed It'll to be. Steal their shine. But what I don't think that they understood is that when they created a Neo, why do you think you'd be able to control Neo? Right. You created the most powerful entity, quote unquote in the universe, so now you also expect him to be this, like, funny, like, do whatever the fuck it is that you say? Yeah. No, because Paul is immediately, he he's a he's a little brat, right? Again, also perfect for Timothy Shamalama Ding Dong, right? He is a, he's a little brat, and he's immediately just being like, I resent what you have all thrust upon me, this terrible purpose. There's your hero, ladies and gentlemen, there he is. I don't believe the toy. <laughs> Should be at the puppet strings of the Beanie Jesuit. <laughs> and they look at him and they're immediately like, who's this little fucking bitch? Right. Tell me what to do. But they also did not fucking fully read what's going on because the Messiah has been born and the Messiah is out the fucking stable and it is going whether they like it or not. And classically, the Messiah, and I know we're going to wait on it talking about the Freeman for, shit for later. Up, of dog. course, the Messiah is going to tap into the, the, the poor and the, the kind of... Well, uh, not cast away, but sort of this like massive numbers of desert people. Well, this is where they get going to flip the whole thing in its head. This is where they really get lumped in the pussy is because when they're putting all of this shit together. Yeah, I'm not. I'm blowing through that. We can keep moving. No, we can keep moving past that. When they put all of that shit together, <laughs> the Benny Jesuit doesn't just control bloodlines. They also control the religious myths of the entire universe. They have this thing called the Missionary of Productivia. 
which is this, they send out members of the Bene Gesserit to all corners of the universe. And what they do is go to various, what they would consider, quote unquote, primitive civilizations that haven't yet fully gotten the touch of Bene Gesserit. And what they do is insinuate themselves inside of these groups and create myths and mythoses for them to later complete in order to basically fool various races across the world. So what they did, an example is here on Arrakis, as it seems that the Fremen already have this, like as the Duke Leto arrives, they have this sort of like mumbling thing about how there is supposed to be this this special boy that is born out of, uh, essentially, uh, out of love, but against duty for the Bene Gesserit. There's supposed to be this like boy, Modib, the desert mouse, which rifling through the Fremen, but it was placed there by Bene Gesserit like a millennia ago. But now their prophet has shown up. And can you imagine being like, this is like one thing we were talking about, that you arrive in Arrakis, Paul has already been told by his mother that your dad's fucking dead here. Nobody cares, right? <laughs> Nobody gives a shit. This is really the truth. And one of the most weirdest things that throw you off right at the very beginning is just like what you think is the main character, totally the Ned Stark, right? I hate to make too many Game fully, of Thrones. It is very much Ned Stark. I hate to make too many Game of Thrones, but he's just the lamb for the slaughter. And you think he's, like, I guess you kind of know Paul's the main character, but if you don't know, like I didn't fully know, I thought, you know, Leto is going to do a little bit more in this whole thing. Yeah, I thought he'd get more fights. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he seems like a fucking badass. Right. And I use um with uh, with beak and claw, we will rise above as hawks among lesser birds. Yeah. That's my favorite toast. I do that toast at home. Fantastic. I love it. You think he's going to do some crazy shit. But man, just... he got fucking giddy, giddy, giddy got, dog. Yeah, in and this then... weird way, though, too. Because Frank Herbert can never just have him be stabbed in the back. But that's the best but part about Frank he's Herbert. He's got to have like a poison capsule in his teeth. Oh! Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. It's so good. But uh, so Paul, he's getting lessons, right? So, you know, he has trainers. So here's, well, let's introduce you to some of the other, his, these boys, yeah, dog. Yeah, time to bring the boys. Paul's dog. Boys Paul's boys town. Gertie Halleck, who is just the funniest, coolest dude in the motherfucking book, right? Gertie Halleck, he's the weapons master. He trains Paul, this little boy, in how to fight. They have this thing called like the many wanded fighting tree. That's like one of the weird things that David Lynch got right in that movie, which is like that tree thing that Kyle McLaughlin fights. Mm -hmm. Gurney Halleck trains him on that. He's got this set, which I believe is somewhere between a violin and a guitar that he brings everywhere. And he's always See, got a he's fun the bard. Yeah, he's, he's the, the bard. bard. But he's got an inky vine, this like scar in the front of his face that comes from being tortured by the Harkonnens. And, the, and so he is. He eats Arkanins. He eats into this fucking, all his fucking guts. And he is, um, he's played by Patrick Stewart in the movie. Do, when you read books, do you imagine actors when you read books? I definitely imagine them if they are, even if I haven't seen the movie, if like I know that they're the character of the movie. But no, and again, like I imagined you as that worm god. Uh, but do you do like because in my mind because it's like what I'm reading doing it's like I I see Kyle McLaughlin obviously as Paul and then all the other characters from the David Lynch movie Paul but except I make Duncan Idaho another one of Paul's buddies who is one of the swashbuckling dude that for some reason is becomes this massive part of the sextology. I don't particularly understand, but as we talk, we will talk more and more about Duncan Idaho. His name pops up again and again, but I imagine him as Carl Urban for some reason. I imagine him, and again, I don't even think about Game of Thrones this much, but it's just it been in my head, I guess, but the Onion Thief, 
that guy, the bearded guy. That, Ooh, uh, yeah. yeah right? That's him, right? That's Gurney Halleck. In my mind, I'd put him as a Gurney Halleck. Halleck. I see him as Duncan Idaho because he's like weathered. He's, but he's like, handsome. been through shit, but he, he's, he's handsome enough, but he's also, and I'm thinking actually, by the way, it's hard because I have to separate it out. The version of Duncan Idaho that is that, the Onion Thief character guy, is in like book, that's like book three and book, Like it's like the weathered, the kind of uh, frustrated, bewildered. Why am I still in this book series version of (laughs) Duck Idaho that we get to? He gets, but in this one, he's very fun. He's like a swashbuckling guy, right? Yeah, he's slick. But that's another one of Paul's trainers. And then the other one is Thufir Hawat, who is one. uh, It is the House Atreides warrior Mentat. Now, Mentats will cover in in another episode. But basically, what's a Mentat? They're human computers. Yes. They're trained to be uh, essentially like you shoot them a bunch of choices both political and not and their jobs are to come up with like and take all of the factors and variants of like different things of like highly complex issues like all these kind of shit and their brains kind of go like and then they come up with like what they consider to be the most logical response. Now, you brought up something earlier that I actually want to go back to because we're talking about this because I never thought too deeply about this. Is there a reason why there aren't actual computers? Well, it's because the Butlerian Jihad happened in the before world of Dune, which was essentially a massive revolt of humankind against thinking computers that had taken over the world. So what they're stipulating is that this is the year that this happens is the year 10,100 in our world. Yes. So 8,000 years from now is when Dune is happening. Okay. And so the- And And the Butlerian Jihad is essentially just hopefully what's going to happen when we finally reach the true culmination of how shitty Twitter is. I guess, but also I think we should give the robots a shot. Okay. I think that they should wait. I think that humans have you shown. You just want to play your f- weird games with them. Yeah, I do. D- deep in I want to be a jester for a series of AIs. <laughs> I will be, I'm, a, I'm one of the good ones. Listen to me, machines. I'm one of the good ones. But he also has a teacher named Dr. Yui. Dr. Yui is a part of a, I forget what the term is. He's like this conditioned, imperial conditioned doctor. So the goal is that he's supposed to be incorruptible. And he teaches Paul all the shit that Paul needs to know before he gets to the planet. Now, imagine this fucking Holden, right? Imagine that you were a young kid and you were supposed to go, you're moving to a new state, right? You're moving to another country or some shit. You don't know anything about this because you're moving to fucking I'd Lithuania. such a fucking prick oh about that. God. You should have seen when they changed high schools. Uh, oh, I had friends. Or fifth grade, I changed schools. I was just like, yeah, yeah. Hey, I friend you. Yeah. I don't want to, daddy. This is what Paul does. Yes. But imagine you showed up in a place that you don't know, that you don't speak the language, what's going on. And not only are they, like, the, everyone's kind of running scared around you. You're 15 years old. But then they show you footage of murals inside of caves that look just like you that have been painted that by people a thousand years ago that say, this is going to be our prophet that's going to lead us to actual ownership of this planet one day. Can you imagine the head trip of being 15 years old and literally they're like, yeah, some of these cave people for some reason think you're a god. And then he has to like 
Oh, Daddy, I wish it wasn't so. I wish to play with the Sphere Rods and Kaladin. But actually, he's, in the end, he kind of gets hardened. That's why he's truly his Duke. Well, you got to go out to the fucking desert, bro. That's get what happens, dude. Up. Fucking rips you up. Hardened in a couple ways, because he also does get that. Chani. Yeah, Chani. He loves that Chani. Um, so that's like, that's Paul's basic team in the very beginning. Yes. And then. We all will slowly meet because the thing about the Harkonnen team. Who else do we need in Harkonnen? Harkonnen, we've got. Well, we got Pitter. Yes. Who's the fucking. I love this character played by Brad Dorff in the fucking David Lynch movies. First book, right? He's only in the first book. Yes. He kind of pops up as a ghost in book two and three. Like there's some shit like that. And actually, weirdly enough, also in the movie Ghost, which no one explains Weird. They're like, why is Pitcher the Mentat here? What's the subway scene when they're running through? uh, When the spice must flow. You wonder why they had that whole thing about sandworms in the middle of that movie? That's why. Deep cut. Big dune head. Whoopi Goldberg's like, what is the spice? Whoopi's the dune head. I'm certain. That was what she pitched. That was my Whoopi Goldberg uh, uh, impression. That, <laughs> What's the spice? That's What's perfect. <laughs> SNL. I've got your new boy here. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg. I was very detective. Good Lord. Also love impressionists who just say the name of who they are. It's important. facts about themselves. Uh, how else are people supposed to know? <laughs> That's what I do. That's how you know. That's how you do an impression. I was in Goodfellas, huh? A little bit. Hmm. Well, man, I'm the master of impressions. You're fantastic at it. Oh, I'm a Pacino. <laughs> I don't really am a Shakespeare. It's, a, it's a Petty. What's the name? It's me. It's Petty. Yeah, I'm Tom Petty. Petty. I'm, I'm Tom Petty. And I'm Joe Petty. Oh, this is great at fucking episode, man. That's a great fucking episode, dude. <laughs> but then there's also Fade Ralpha. His nephew. Now, one thing about Baron Harkonnen. Harkonnen's nephew, yeah. Yeah, Fade Rautha is, um, he thinks that his own nephew's very sexy. And he really, they really hit that. Because what's weird is the book shows Harkonnen is like almost sad about what he has to do to Duke Leto. Because what we are now going to find out is that Duke Leto has what's called a faint within a faint within a faint. Which is also a term that comes up in Dune quite a bit. Where he is ready to get Leto's goat. He hates how handsome Duke Leto is. He hates how much everybody fucking respects Duke Leto because Baron Harkonnen does not care about respect or anything. All he cares about is money and power. And that's all he wants. It's really strange how all of this really is about money, weirdly. And what's funny, though, too, is that, like, and again, this speaks to that kind of lame analogy at the very beginning is like, that does kind of remind me of our former presence. This is like, he's got this money, he's got this stuff, but yes. he'll never be pretty. And never be pretty, never be liked by the right yeah. people. And, and, and like, that's always what's just going to be at the heart of all of the dumb, shitty, petty stuff that It's they just do. interesting, but how in the first book, Harkonnen is labeled as like the villain of all villains, right? Mm. But he actually has sympathy for Leto. And he has like these like weird moments where it's like, because technically he has this like way in. So what he has done is that he has corrupted Dr. Yui, who has these uh, conditioning, this imperial conditioning, which is supposed to never be broken. He's supposed to be incorruptible, but they've managed to get to him, which he says, every man has his lever. 
which I think actually is very true. You can break a man. And we're talking about mental games here. We're not even talking about bribes or anything like that. Like, it's literally just them. Well, he's got his wife. Basically, he's been torturing uh, Dr. Yui's wife for a very long now time. Now it comes back. Oh, yep. this is the problem with us having wives. Well, well and, and, and it gives us something to lose, dude. This is our problem. We are giving our enemies levers uh, yes. because we allow ourselves to feel love. Any person in Dune that loves dies. I was about to say, love is the catalyst for all shenaniganry. In the entire book. Every <laughs> I literally single wanted thing. to say, got it for Dune. I was going to say, it should just be called Dune for the Fifth Element. That's it is what, true. That is what it should be called. It's really true. It is just the the key to all uh, chinks in the armor, let's say. You, you just, there's something about this idea, because Frank Herbert, again, married, loves his wife. Obviously, love Brian Herbert, didn't beat him with a fucking stick. Right. But also, he is just saying that love makes you weak. That every single time you love, you, you don't, your head, you're distracted. Your head's on a fucking, well, you're not on the proper swivel. But that makes so much sense because all of this is just a bunch of different groups. The Bay Gesserit, Harkonnens, the Emperor himself. Everybody is just a bunch of different groups trying to plan out the next, like, 3,000 years of a uh, human existence. And guess what the problem is? Is that when you decide in this idea that I can accurately predict the future of how humans will behave, you find that it is actually, it doesn't work out it like that the at all. It is living in New York City, the the books. Like, it is like, when you go to New York, the first thing you learn is everything's out of your control, and as soon as you try to control, like, the way your day is going to go... You just get slammed just get in the face. the opposite at, at the moment you... But as, as long as you're, like, willing to just kind of go with the flow, the spice flow... Mm then you may prevail. Very so, good turn. So Very Yui, good bring it back. Bring right? it back to Spike. Very good. Right? Yui now is, uh, now we he he regretfully too, he's in this shitty position where he does not want to do this to Leto. He does not want to. But he is now in Harkonnen's pocket. So Harkonnen knows that, all right, I have this. I'm going to get Duke Leto. I'm going to get my ultimate revenge. I am going to go in. Now that he's he's doing his fun little games, he's taking over Arrakis, I'm going to go. I'm taking Arrakis back. I have... What turns out to be the full backing of the Emperor, because that's also sort of a reveal that the Emperor, even though he loved Duke Leto and even admitted to his own daughter, I wish that he was my son. He also can't let Duke Leto fuck with his money or fuck with his spice. So when he knows when it comes down to it, we got to get this fucking guy out of there. He believes up to a point he can control Harkonnen because Harkonnen really does, in his way, have simple tastes. He just likes money violence human boy dick (laughs) he loves boy dick and then when you find out is that he promised jessica so he's gonna flip him from the inside and he has promised jessica to pitter which is not good because pitter's like i will show her i will show her all of my machinations of pain disgusting in these books they will see when she goes into my pain chambers what shall happen to jessica who lost you know actually let's go back to the boy dick because i'd rather be in boy dick right now luscious globes (laughs) i want to see the points on her globes point towards me but harkonnen also and the problem is that harkonnen He's looking for Paul. He wants some of that. He was a couple slices of that 15-year-old boy. But that PD, that Paul dick. Paul dick. (laughs) And this is where we're at. The first quarter of this book, this trap is unleashed on the Duke Leto. Now, he's got, he thought he got all this shit set up. One of, also, one of my favorite scenes in the very beginning is the dinner scene. Uh When he does that first, like, because Duke Leto 
it's very much like JFK in my mind. Because uh-huh. when, when last podcast did the JFK series, it's like one thing we kept saying, he's like the most murdered man who ever lived. There was just so many people trying to kill him yeah. and any one go. And there's like so many people trying to fucking kill this dude. And it's, it, it, he has this scene where he basically tells all of these shitheads that have had this very comfortable world on Dune how shit gone done change around here. Because what he finds out when he arrives is that apparently, so the one thing is that they flocked how much water that they can have. The leaders of Dune, a prerequisite is to sort of like, boast about how much water you have access to versus anybody else. Water is the uh, OLED 4K flat screen TV, the Tesla, let's say, of of Arrakis. They love it. Not to say Tesla again in this episode, but it is that- Sponsor us, Tesla. Please, Tesla, sponsor us. I need a self-driving car. I will kill my wife and future child. Give him a self-driving car. He (laughs) cannot be driving. But it is that ultimate like luxury item, the the fancy Nike shoes- of, so, of Arrakis is water. But basically he found out that they would take the extra water from this party and it was common courtesy for them to go and sop it all up because they do this kind of ceremony where they pour water on the ground and then one of the Fremen like housekeepers would go and sop it all up with a rag and then charge people to get a drop of it where she would squeeze it into their mouths. And he was like, fuck that. We're not gonna, I'm changing shit. We're not going to boast about our water fatness anymore, which is with the term that they come up with. And so he changes everything. He like throws over the bowls. He does this whole thing. Basically, he calls out everybody at this fucking party. They all know it's a huge mistake, all the smugglers. And then there's a guy that's obviously a Harkonnen agent. And there was another little girl that was put there to fuck Paul just to like get into his head to try to play with his 15-year-old mind. But for some reason, Paul is the least horny 15-year-old I've ever seen. Mm. He really is. And that's his power. And I would say the same thing with L. Ron Hubbard. Is the reason why L. Ron Hubbard did so well for so long is because his penis didn't really get involved. Right. But I thought he was hor- a horny, horny man later in life. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I thought he was no. a horny weirdo. No, but he was not. Yeah, LRH actually never really used the penis much. He didn't get wrapped up into it. He made a bunch of people dress in like admiral outfits and shit, but he never made them molest. Right, but I would also attribute that to just having a deeply intense speed addiction as well. But he, Maybe way. he couldn't get it up. Yeah, and yeah. also, Paul, he's a lover. Right. Just like his father. Because his father was the same way. His father just loved his, loved his fucking concubine. He didn't love anybody else. And he regretted forever that he wouldn't get a chance to marry Jessica. Paul's also a mopey mope. He's a mopey mope. He's, very, he's like Hamlet. Yeah. He's a goth superhero. Yes. This is very much, I, I saw one joke on, I believe it was on Twitter, that called Dune Star Wars for goths. Yeah. Which is very true. Because you see, because they talk about him laconically, like sitting in a, a lounge, and you know, and Duke Leto's like, he would bear the address of Duke very well. Because he likes somebody who holds his shit together. He doesn't like somebody who's fucking a, a frivolous nitwit. Right. So the trap is sprung. Duke Leto is surprised. They try to kill Paul. They manage to get away. The main, the, and again, one of, one of my favorite scenes in the whole book was when Dr. Yui, he's the one that captures Duke Leto. He basically says, I'm sorry, I got to do this. They got my wife. But what we're going to do is I need you to kill Baron Harkonnen. And what I'm going to do is have this tooth. I'm going to have this hollowed out tooth. I'm going to put it into your mouth. Yeah. And then when you are presented to the Baron, you're going to bite on the tooth, release this poison gas, and you're going to blow it into his face and kill him. Yeah. Super fucking cool way to kill someone. Fucking dope. 
Absolutely. This is where Frank Herbert's imagination, I think, is absolutely incredible. I love it because he has to come up with all of these sort of like hyper analog ways to do things. And it's got to be mousetrap. It's got to be, speaking of analog, but also it's got to be like, this will knock this over, which will lead to this. So it's like, we've got it you It took captured. him six years to write these fucking books. Exactly, right? We've got you captured, but I'm going to give you the tooth, but then you have to do that. And then obviously, and then, well, not obviously, but uh, it does not go as to plan. It does not. He ends up only killing Pitter in the exchange, which is so sad that we only had Pitter for so long. Oh, it was one yeah, of my I fucking favorites. I really wish you could have done that impression for episode after episode. I will up. continue to do the voice. Peter. No, I will look at her moist, round bush. So, I'm busy oh, this weekend. I want to pleasure her mounds I, with my knife I meet mean, with my girlfriends and I'm we're going to the to the mall to get our... I can't. Can I come or is it women only? <laughs> it's really just the girls for this one, but uh, I'll call ya. I don't think she is going to call Peter. <laughs> I, I, you know, I love him and sad that he died, but Baron Harkonnen, it just misses him. But then he realizes is that he surrounded himself by these emperor's troops. And then he realizes that not only, so Duke is gone, right? So he set up this whole plan that Just Gun Paul would be immediately killed. And this is also how you know that the Baron Harkonnen is actually not as bad as you think he was because he was supposed to give Jessica over to Pitter to be essentially uh, tortured to death. And then he was supposed to suck Paul until Paul was a fucking empty bag, right? Right. As it turns out, he wasn't that stuck on it because what he did, so Jessica is burned, right? Like down on the ground. And then she sees a burp, 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 burp. She sees him float in, right? Because the one thing about Baron Harkonnen is that they say he, he glides. It's because he's got these like sensor Things like lifting him up like he's fucking Louis Anderson in a fucking like, uh, wrecking ball it's situation. Like he's in Cirque du Soleil, but you know, for fat people. It's it's fun for him. <laughs> so he rolls and she wakes up to see him. But he gives Pitter a choice. So they sit there and they're at the, they're about to like he's they're about to expose. So she's supposed to go to the pain tanks, and Paul's supposed to be there, but he looks at Pitter and he's like, I'll give you a choice, Pitter. You can take the woman and exile from the Imperium. Or the duchy of Atreides on Arrakis to rule as you see fit in my name. And so he basically says, what if I give you this shit, right? But meanwhile, Jessica knows in the meantime what that means is they're all dead. Anybody that Baron Harkonnen like, says anything to, he, it is, they are dead, right? Because he's constantly backstabbing anybody around him. But he looked at Jessica and the way he views Jessica as a tool and that what he thought Pitter was going to do to her was such a waste of this incredible tool. The way he put it was, understand yourself, Pitter. You want her because she was a duke's woman, a symbol of his power, beautiful, useful, exquisitely trained for her role, but an entire duchy, Pitter. That's more than a symbol. That's the reality. With it, you can have many women and more. So what the fuck does he do with Jessica? He fucking gives them, he fucking, they go, they bound Jessica and Paul, and then they do the thing that every overconfident villain always does. Right. Which is, which I think is on purpose. Leave them for dead. Basically, he says, we're gonna go, we'll drop them in the desert, the desert's gonna handle them, they don't know anything about the desert, but they don't understand that Paul's actually been highly, highly trained to deal with the desert. So has Jessica. They already had a meeting with Liet Keen, so we're going to talk about next episode, who is the planet ecologist, who is a 
off-worlder dude that has insinuated himself so deep into the Fremen, like studying Arrakis. Like he is there, he's part of, and they actually learn quite a bit on how to handle themselves in the desert. And he's kind of thought, we'll dump them, they'll die. I won't have to deal with them anymore. But it turns out, as it always does, you always need the corpse. Yes. Remember that, whole. And remember that, listeners at home, especially our younger listeners that may not have had you the always thirst of kill just need yet. need the corpse. You gotta have the corpse. And I've said this in the last podcast and left, and that's the truth, is that if you don't have a corpse, you don't have a crime. Yeah, and I said this to my mom just the other day. Um, my God, I just want to fucking jerk off hunched over a... a giant bloated dead corpse and this is what brings us to the end of the first episode of Dunecast um because that's what this is really all about right jerking not, well, we, not oh, jerking off not on corpse yeah, yeah but the energy behind it yes and how you really have to think about the consequences of your actions and you also have to think about you know I think big questions we're gonna like lay on you are do you really want to know the future do you if you had the chance to play God should you and would you I would you would? I, of course. I, I feel the I opposite. would be reading God Emperor the whole time. I, I was just, I mean, not to jump ahead too much, but I was just like, I never, I, A, I don't even know if I like this fucking guy. And I don't, would you won't even get to know him. The person. You won't even fucking get to know him. You're just so like <laughs> disgusted by his form that you won't get to know Ugh. the man inside. There's a man in the worm, bro. I, you see the man in the worm. That's what makes it worse. I'd rather just be a fucking worm. They all they care about is <laughs> if I have a penis. The loneliest worm in the world. <laughs> He's the loneliest worm in the world. Um, but yes, I. you know what? That's how I wooed my wife, Natalie. Uh, that was like one of the things I used to talk to her about. This is really true. Oh, so when we were first dating, a warm guy. Are you gonna say talk about Dune? Because she seems exasperated every time uh, you talk about Dune around her. But she, go on. She has been worn down by love. <laughs> but I used to tell her, which is a bit that I used to do about how um, I think a bit about how I'd love to be dictator because I'd be a dictator who listens. Ah. And I think that's what's important. What I don't also understand about mm. Harkonnen <laughs> is that he comes he comes from this like world of shit, which you'll find also about like Yeti Prime, where he's from, is this like black rock filled with just like, essentially like orcs like working and just like filled with just fucking pollution and corruption and all this kind of bullshit. Looks I, like man flesh is back on the menu. It boys. is all of that shit. But it's like, if you're a dictator, like if I was a dictator, I'd like also put in fun shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I would put in like all sorts of like merry-go-round and holo decks and like uh, and silent sil that one of those silent robot discos wars. where everybody's wearing the headphones. All of that shit. Ice cream for free every Tuesday <laughs> if you don't get a culture ticket. <laughs> Because culture tickets will be big. Yeah. That's just more about making sure you fit in so just with the environment. It into a first grade classroom is what we're doing. But you get ice cream and holo decks and all that kind of shit. Why and are you one, complaining? One thin slice of pizza from the pizza party. But you get the you get a piece of pizza and you didn't have to pay for it. That's what you pay your taxes for because there's a lot of taxes in my world. Right. Um. But that's the they does open up on one chapter. Um. When they are wondering what the hell. Uh. Basically, when they're wondering where the hell Jessica and Paul is, they like cut to Getty Prime and they fade round. Alpha is just their way to like have fun is that his nephew who's played by Sting in the movie who's just like you know it's like ruthless cunning like fuck like he basically um just slits the throat of a hundred slaves and they're all like yay because <laughs> they're like forced to like it with fear but that's you know that's where I want our audience to be 100%. I want you to be afraid 
to not like this show. Right. Absolutely. And uh, I agree with that. I love, I think the, if when fear is the basis of anything, it's great. It seems to work out really People well. People love it. Um, thank you so much for joining us on our first journey into the sands of Dune. Next week, we will take up more of the plot of Dune. But I will say, episodes after four are not going to be about plot. We're going to be talking more about themes and bullshit. Yeah, and a lot of this, you know, and if you're thinking like, oh, they're just giving away all the plot points. Why You wouldn't understand anything if we didn't. It's like, A, you wouldn't understand anything you didn't. B, it's little, like this is all just setting up pieces to put into motion so that we can talk about philosophical concepts so that we can talk about political structures and uh, these, these also these- trying to wrap my fucking brain around the concept. I was reading this like article about they said the fractal nature of dude and this idea that he wrote it as fractals. You know what those are? Yes, like reoccurring shape, uh, math, mathematic shapes and patterns, nature. smaller yeah. patterns, like micro patterns also exist on a macro level. Yeah. I, I see that. It'll be difficult to understand. He also, uh, not to bring it back to dreams too much, but again, I think that he purposely has, especially as the books go on, I don't think it's like uh, bad writing or laziness either. He's constantly cycling back to these concepts. It's on purpose. And adding more to them. And again, I think uh, that big one is that past sense concept of being able to have uh, uh, all of your ancestors' memories inside one person and how that makes you transcend being one human being. And or how even the, as and a the, child, you're also like an old woman and you're also this, that, and the other at the same time. But and what that's, happens yeah, when that's you're a so repeating focused, thing. But what happens when you're so focused on listening to the quote unquote memories of the past and also visions of the future that you don't take the time to live in the present? Abomination! Dan's um, the knife. Um, but thank you so much. Uh, we will be back next yeah. week with more Dunecast. All right, let's close it out with the uh, proper way. I, I must not, not fear. fear. Fear is, is the, the mind killer. killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. And now a scene from Dune Theater. The scene opens with Jessica, having just left her son Paul, in the hands of the Reverend Mother, Gaius Helen Mohian. Paul, put your right hand in the box. From the folds of her gown, she lifted a green metal cube. She turned it, and Paul saw that one side was open, black, and oddly terrifying. What are you going to do to me, Reverend Mother? I hold at your neck the Gom Jabbar, the high-handed enemy. It's a needle with a drop of poison on its tip. (laughs) Don't pull away. You'll feel that poison 
How did you trick my mother into leaving me alone with you? Here's the rest of it. If you withdraw your hand from the box, you die! This is the only rule. Keep your hand in the box and live. Withdraw it and die. What is in it? Pain. Oh, sorry. Yeah, just stop. Need to do a little vacuum in here, you know. Friendly neighborhood janitor, don't mind me. Paul, this is to determine if you're human. Be silent. Pain throbbed up his arm. Sweat stood out on his forehead. Every fiber cried out to withdraw his hand from that burning pit. But the gomja... Can someone tell me where the toilet is around here? Is it the one of these round doors? The ones that lift? Excuse me? Someone called a janitor, said there's a leak of that brown water. Something about not wasting it, as is the custom. I don't get into all that hoo right? Say, is this kind of pain ceremony happening here? Is that what's going on on a Sunday? Leave us, you fool! What's in the box? What's in the box? Pain. Quite a bit of it. Stop distracting me. Fear's the mind killer. Yeah, I know a thing or two about pain. I'll tell you what. My wife, Linda, left me for the dog trainer. The dog left me for fucking Linda. It's actually much more painful to listen to this janitor talk about his personal life than leaving my hand in this box. If I had to choose between the two, I'd definitely choose the magical pain box any day. Am I being nagged here? Is that what's happening? I read all the books. I know how the game works. That's how I got Linda. I did a magic trick for the nightclub. Now I'm here. Look, I can tell you guys want me to go. I can tell your eyes are screaming. Get out of this room, Janet. So much pain. I'll do just that. You know how many toilets are in Caladan? I'll give you a hit. Oh, it's a lot. So let me let you go. I'll get out of here. But uh, I'll tell you, if anyone's a human, it's Paul over here. I know I'm going to see it. Pain. Pure pain. Nothing. Please. Please let me take my hand out of the box. Enough. Cool hard. No woman child ever withstood that much. And the whole janitor thing happened as well. An unexpected barrier. Still here, actually. Get, Get out, out of here. here! All right, won't be the last time you see me as a reoccurring character, though. I'll have you know. I'll be in the background. I'll be signaling stuff. Take your hand from the box, young human, and look at it. Paul jerked his hand from the box and stared at it, astonished. Madame Mark. No sign of agony on the flesh. A human can override any nerve in the body. We Bene Gesserit sift people to find the humans. Wow, that's deep. You guys want to hit this? I got a sativa and an indica. The Reverend Mother uses the voice. Couple of hybrids. You will This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. 
Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.